Always wanted to co-host a podcast but never had the chance? Well, now you can. Hi, folks, it's Ryan. And Tara from your favorite Disney podcast. We know you've all loved listening to our podcast, but wouldn't you like to be a part of it? For a limited time during the month of July, we want you to tell your friends about us. Just direct them to our Facebook group. Search Tara and Ryan's Princess Diaries on Facebook. And get them to join. The person who invites the most new members by the end of the month will get a chance to co-host an episode with us. You could talk with us about 101 Dalmatians, Winnie the Pooh, Hercules, or many more. It's easy. So remember to tell your friends about your favorite podcast. Tara and Ryan's Princess Diaries. Thanks, everyone, and enjoy the episode. I'm Tara. I'm Ryan. We love Disney movies. So we decided to watch them all, from Snow White to Frozen 2 and beyond. Each episode, we'll watch a different Walt Disney Animated Studios film and tell you all about it. Did we like it? Does it hold up? Who's our favorite hero? Or villain. We'll give you history and fun facts about each movie. And sometimes we'll invite our friends to watch along with us. So put on your tiara. Or your evil crown. And join us on our adventure. This is Tara and Ryan's Princess Diaries. Hello listeners, we are so pumped and excited. Well, I don't want to speak for Ryan, but I am super (laughs) pumped and excited for Cinderella. You're coming in hot. I am. (laughs) Well, here's the thing is like, I have nostalgia to Cinderella like it was when I watched a lot growing up. And Listeners, I kind of today it's welcome to Tara and Ryan Princess Diaries. Today we'll be doing Cinderella. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. I well, we kind of plugged it the last episode. Yes. So if you've listened to the last one, uh, but the thing is, for this one, like it's been a while. I haven't watched it in years. And when I started doing research, I just remembered how much I love the music and how much I love the characters. And I'm just excited too that we're getting to like this era of princesses and the stories that. Uh, a lot of our listeners, as well as the two of us, grew up with and really enjoyed along the way. But yeah, this one really, um, you know, we said that everything we know about Disney wouldn't have happened without Snow White. And I do think that's true. But Cinderella gave the funding for all of his imaginary, mm-hmm. not imaginary, but his imaginative projects that came afterwards. Mm-hmm. So I would say Cinderella did the funding and Snow White probably did a little bit of the funding, but also put him out there as this is something he would continue to do. So I think this movie also uh, is just as important well, as Snow White. Well, let's hit let's hit him with a synopsis, Tara. Yeah, so Cinderella came out in 1950, and the synopsis is, when Cinderella's cruel stepmother prevents her from attending the royal ball, she gets some unexpected help from the lovable mice Gus and, is it Jacques? I can't remember if it's Jacques or Jack. Or Jacques. It's, it's, it's Jacques or Jack. It's not Jack. Jack. Although... When I was there's a, there's a certain member of these documentaries you keep seeing who's who's I forget his name but he's he's foreign he's I think it's French of some sort or maybe kind of a French speaking country because he he goes I remember in the thing he said Jacques he mm. said when she talks to Jacques and then someone else goes Jack and I was like got it huh. uh, so it's lovable mice Gus and Jacques I'm gonna use his term okay. and from her fairy godmother so that was the last line and. This is something we started, I think, with the last episode, but in 1950, the top three movies were King Solomon's Mine, Annie Get Your Gun, and Cheaper by the Dozen. Do you know what the fourth top-ranking movie was? All About Eve. Cinderella. Oh, cool. The reason I guessed All About Eve is because I have some Oscar information, Mm, so I was curious. Uh, It got a 97% on Rotten Tomatoes, and going to the Oscars, it was nominated for three. It did not win any. It was nominated for Best Music, Original Song, and the original song was Bibbidi-Bobbidi-Boo, 
uh, Mona Lisa won in Captain Carrie USA. So that was the movie it was in. Uh, Best Music, Scoring of a Musical Picture, uh, Annie Get Your Gun won for that one. Hmm. And Best Sound Recording, All About Eve won. So it was nominated. It was very high up there. Uh, The music was written by Jerry Livingston and Al Hoffman, and they were from the Tin Pan Alley era. That was a very interesting part of the of the documentary, and I'll jump into that. Yeah, is is one of the they had found with a lot of these movies, they had just written songs for the movie, and they ended up being pop hits. Mm -hmm. Like they were making a lot of money. So this is one of the first movies I think where Disney a produced their own music. Yes, and they had a recording company, which I have some information on they they it was a lot of their royalties um when we talk about how much it got and that so i'll go into that in a little bit but the but the other thing they did is they did go out and hire people from tin pan alley which was like the music or music writing air uh music writing what would you call it it wasn't it wasn't one company industry it was it was like motown or something where there was a lot of companies in one in one area doing this one thing Mm mm-hmm so it was, it was, it was a well, lot. Motown was Barry Gordy. Motown was like well, a singular I person. <laughs> uh, I mean, there were lots of people who performed in the Motown style, but yes. I'm pretty sure it was Barry. But this Gordy was this was a bunch then. of of writers who were like, well, we need a song about this, and they'd write a song, and it was different, and they're all trying to make money off of music, mm. and so they hired a bunch of writers from there specifically because they said, we'll do two things. One, we want to make money off of our own music because this was a movie where they wanted to make they wanted to diversify. They talked about starting diversifying because they were four million dollars when they went in debt. $4 million in debt when they went, they started this movie. Mm-hmm. And they were talking about diversifying. They started doing live action movies. They started doing a whole bunch of different stuff. But one one of the things they wanted to do was the music. And they also said, well, instead of like having them just become pop hits, let's actually try and write them to be pop hits. So yeah. let's get these Tin Pan Alley guys and they'll write them. And apparently it worked. It, it, were, it was bonkers how well it worked. Well, yeah, and for example of that, the best original song was Bibbidi Bobbidi Boo, and that hit, there have been multiple singles that were covers. Mm-hmm. Perry Como did a version, the Fontaine Sisters did a version, Joe Stafford, Gordon McRae, Dinah my, Shore. My mother did a version all the time when I was a kid. <laughs> so, yeah, so there were lots of hits with that song along the way. Um, we keep talking about how this made so much money, so let me give you the numbers the budget for this movie was 2.9 million at the box office it had 263.6 million it was the third highest grossing film when cinderella happened it gave them the money as ryan mentioned to finance productions animated in live action so that was them diversifying and doing different projects they established their own distribution company during this time after they got that money and they entered production to begin building Walt Disneyland. So Mm. that also, a lot of the money went to that. Now, not only was it the money from the box office sales, but they also had record sales, music publishing and publications, and merchandise. So this was when Disney merchandise started becoming big, and their music publishing publications, I don't know if, I guess I'm saying that double, Um, But basically... We're doing our best, guys. (laughs) We are, yeah. I I have it written here separate because I think what I wanted to say, and I didn't write it down right uh, or correctly, is that uh, they published the sheet music for the first time. Mm -hmm. So they also were getting royalties off of, you know, selling a songbook so people could play it on the piano, could sing it, could do that kind of a thing, as well as selling the record so people could go out and buy the soundtrack. Which, the record sold 750,000 copies. Did you see that? No, I didn't see that number. That's awesome. Yeah, which, you know, back then is huge. 
Yeah, it's still an impressive number. Mm-hmm. I think if you if you look at it in terms of um, all the other numbers along the way. So yeah, there are a lot of uh, interesting things that came from Cinderella, you know, and pushed it forward. Uh, I did want to sh- briefly talk about the original story because I have some interesting history here. Okay. And uh, as we get into a lot of these classic Disney movies, a lot of them are based off of other stories. So mm-hmm. I always like to give credit there. Uh, Cinderella or the Little Glass Slipper is a folktale embodying element of unjust oppression and triumphant reward. And that's a big reason they did this is, is Walt said, this is an underdog. He loved this underdog story. Yeah. They talked a lot in the documentary about how Walt, you know, everyone's like, Oh, Walt worked on a farm and had a big family. And this is all the, and it, it spoke to him. And apparently it spoke to a lot of people in America. Yeah. And yeah, I, I wrote that down word for word. Cause I love the way it was described. Mm. Uh, so that's interesting. I didn't know that about yeah. Walt. Walt, uh, another little Walt thing about this. Watch for when she turns into her gown. Supposedly, that is Walt's favorite piece of animation. Ever. So I read that, but I didn't put it down because I feel like in every movie we're like, this is Walt's favorite, and then it changes. But I do find that interesting, and I hope that holds true. <laughs> I, I They showed it, and it looks really great. Yeah. So thousands of variants uh, of this story are throughout the world. So there are lots of different versions of this story. And uh, I'm not going to say this name right, but it traces back to Greek origins, the story of R-H-O-D-O-P-I-S. Rhodopis. I don't know. I don't know. I'd have to look at it. So it's the story of Rhodopis, and uh, it's recounted by a Greek geographer, S-T-R-A-B-O. Strabo. Let me see it. I'm so sorry. That's okay. Rhodopis sounds right. And then and Strab- Stra- Strabo. Strabo. Let's go with okay. that. Guys, if we're doing it right, wrong, let us know. All right. Know. Listeners, Rocky I hope Road you, don't, strawberry. I hope you don't get tired of my mispronunciations because <laughs> unfortunately they're going to be sprinkled throughout. Uh, but anyway, this uh, Greek geographer, uh, sometime between 7 BC and AD 23, uh, talked about a Greek slave girl who marries the king of Egypt. So this is known to be the earliest variant of the story. Hmm. So I found that interesting that that's kind of where it based back to. And earlier versions never had the glass slipper. So there's an interesting uh, bit and fact, fairy tale fact here. Uh, They were actually fur slippers. And in some of the stories, the fairy godmother turns a pair of squirrels into her shoes. (laughs) So like the pumpkin becomes a carriage. That's not magic. That's just taxidermy. Yeah. So, uh, (laughs) Basically, what happened was, and I don't know who it was who misread this, like where it changes, or if Disney, when they were doing the story for Disney, they changed it. So Disney might have credit to the glass slipper first. I don't think that's true. But Mm -hmm. um, whoever was interpreting, it was French, the story. So there were, it has a basis in France and in French, and the Cinderella in Disney is supposed to take place in France. They don't explicitly say France, but... Uh, There are a lot of nods and hints that it is Mm -hmm. taking place in France. So uh, the word, I believe it was whatever the word for squirrel was, it was either squirrel or fur, is a word that many years later was not commonly used in the French language. So the person who was reading it misinterpreted it as the word for glass, which is similar. And so that's how it became a glass slipper. So I believe it became a glass slipper before Disney because it's the story is known as the little glass slipper. So mm-hmm. I think somewhere along the way somebody interpreted it 
uh, and misinterpreted it, and it became the glass slipper. And then Disney's really the one who made the glass slipper so famous. Right. This is a big nine old men. Yes. Uh, yeah. This I don't know was if the it was, first, was it the first. This okay. is the first time um, that the nine old men, uh, I believe, all worked together. And it was uh, just yes. Yeah. Yeah. The first time that they worked together. And the documentary, which we'll put up, is really good because it actually goes through and it shows what everyone was in charge of. Um, the, I, 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 yeah, Frank Thomas was the one who did Lady Tremaine, but before he had done Bambi and Pinocchio and a lot of the like lighter characters, it was interesting that he got moved over to the villain because he, he, he said, I guess Walt saw something in me that I didn't, that everybody else didn't, uh, Ollie, jo- Ollie Johnson did the stepsisters, Frank and Ollie, there's a documentary on there about them and they're like, they were best friends until they died. And is that on Disney Plus? I believe so. And okay. it's also if you see the Incredibles, there's a there's a scene where near the end where the Incredibles save the day and it just cuts to these two old men and they're like, Oh, that's old school. There's no school like the old school. And it's this weird scene where you're like, Well, that's the weird two old men. That's supposed to be Frank and Ollie. Oh, okay. Um Ollie Johnson the stepsisters, a guy named Wolfgang Oh no. I didn't write what he did. Never mind. Cut that out. Wolfgang Walt, worked on it with them. <laughs> he did. Wolfgang Ritterman, the guy named Wooly, they called him. And then uh, Ward Kimball, who is in, who I think uh, was in, he's in a lot of these documentaries. He did the, the mostly Lucifer. And it was funny because. I have a story on this too. It might be the same story. So go ahead. Well, it was just like everybody else, because they filmed the whole thing live action and then kind of used it as reference. They didn't rotoscope it. Yeah. I read 90% of the movie yes. was done in well, live action first before animation to keep costs down. Obviously all the human parts, but the, they couldn't live action Lucifer and the mice. Yeah. So that became Ward Kimball's thing because apparently everyone in the thing kept going, yeah, Ward wouldn't have done realistic stuff anyway he would have done whatever he wanted he kept going yeah i don't want to do that like like they essentially just found something for him to do Mm -hmm. and it's interesting to watch because it's the it's it's very much and they do this a lot in disney films i think i talked about in pinocchio but there's a there's a bit of there's two different animation styles going on here and they meld well you don't feel weird watching cinderella talk to the mice but like they're very cartoony and she's got more of a realistic look Mm -hmm. Well, and the other thing, as since you mentioned Lucifer, I'll mention this. Uh, he was modeled after Kimball's cat. His cat name was Feetsy, yes. F-E-E-T-S-Y. And supposedly, the story goes that Walt was at his house to talk shop about the movie, and the cat wouldn't leave him alone. The cat, like, kept brushing up on Walt's legs, and Walt was not a cat person. So the cat, like, was clinging to him, and finally, Walt said, for gosh sakes, there's your Lucifer right here. Yep. Uh, so I loved that little story of... Um, you know, Kimball, I guess, had looked at a lot of different cats and didn't feel they were right, uh, is what mm-hmm. I read. And then that's kind of how it came to be that Feetsy was the inspiration. Uh, I think this was Frank Tom- uh, Thomas who said this. This is just something kind of, he, he, he kind of throws this story out there. Has nothing to do with Cinderella, um, but it has a little bit to do with Cinderella. So apparently Frank and Ward and maybe a couple of the other guys were in a Dixieland band mm-hmm. called the Firehouse Five Plus Two. Love that. And uh, it cuts to a picture of young Ward just sitting at his desk playing a trom- like with a trombone on his mouth. Uh-huh. And apparently they would introduce themselves at, con- at you know gigs or whatever and be like, yeah, we're animators. And you go, you go, Ward here drew Lucifer. And everyone would go, oh, yeah. He said, all the women loved it. And I go, I drew Lady Tremaine. And... Uh, yeah, I drew Lady Tremaine. Everybody be like, boo. Ah. 
<laughs> That's hilarious. Uh, the other thing I wanted to note about the carriage, and so if you're going to watch the movie, if you're listening to this and then you decide you want to watch the movie, this is something I want us to look out for. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also a little tidbit for the listeners to look out for. Uh, the carriage at the wedding. So at the very end, when they go oh, away yeah. in a wedding carriage, Wait, what? there's an emblem. You've spoiled the oh, end. I'm from... so sorry. <laughs> it's a happily ever after, listeners. Uh, so at the wedding carriage, the emblem of a sword has two hidden Mickeys. So oh, I want to see if we can find that's them. That's something we should be looking out for a lot more is hidden Mickeys. Yeah. So I think listeners, in some you... of my trivia, I think I'll yeah. start, I'll, we'll start to read about them. But if listeners, if you have any hidden Mickeys, even if it's movies we haven't covered yet, but mm-hmm. if there are hidden Mickeys that you know about or excited about, we'd love to hear about them and to look out for them when we yeah, do absolutely. Uh, future movies as well. So that was something we need to look out for at the end. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to talk a little bit about the woman who voiced Cinderella because I read a few interesting things, not only about how she got the part, uh, but something that uh, is very near and dear to my heart that happened to her in her life later on. So I wanted to talk about that for a moment. Uh, Her name is Eileen Woods, and she beat out 309 girls for the part of Cinderella. And how it happened was uh, she had no idea she was auditioning for the part of Cinderella. She didn't even know that she was in the running until Disney called her to offer her the part. Basically, what happened was... She had done a recording of a few songs for Friends, and the Friends sent in the recording to Disney for the audition, and they didn't tell her about it. So they just sent it without telling her, and then she got a call from Disney uh, at some point, and that's how she knew that she was in the running for this role, which I just found so wild. Can I jump in with another story? Yeah. When she uh, went to the premiere, she had a three-year-old. Her her son had turned three. And it's funny because the way she told it, I didn't realize. Like, they recorded all her stuff like three years earlier, right? Mm-hmm. So she, she goes, my, my, my son was old enough. And then when she appears and starts singing, the kid, he, like, stood up on his chair and was like, that's my mommy. Aww. That's my mommy. And apparently the people in front of him, like, turned around and were, like, smiled at him and then went, isn't that adorable? He thinks his mother is Cinderella. Oh, that's funny. like like yeah. They <laughs> the didn't... mom was like, "Yeah, he does." <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's sweet. The other thing I wanted to mention about her, and this is something that for me personally uh, was a really special thing to read. Um, Eileen Woods lived with Alzheimer's in later years, so she lived with the disease. And during this time, uh, her nurses mentioned that she did not remember or recall that she played Cinderella. However. Uh, they said that when a dream is a wish your heart makes would be played, it comforted her. So it was something that calmed her down mm-hmm. and comforted her. And listeners, I've briefly mentioned what I've done in the past, but I'm a music therapist and I specifically work with those who live with dementia and Alzheimer's. And being able to see a song of importance or a song of great meaning or connection um, and being able to watch somebody calm down or become less irritated or become more relaxed or just redirect it and focused in singing and dancing and enjoying the music. However, they connect to that piece of music is so important, uh, especially as the disease progresses. And I just found that story so special that obviously Cinderella was was special to her and she put in a lot of time and hours on it. And that song uh, stayed with her even all those years later. So uh, I just wanted to mention that. Um, I I think that feels like a good place to to watch the movie, if if you if you agree. Yeah, I have I have a few more things, but I can save those for later. Okay, I did want to point out that if you guys are doing this the same way we are doing it, I ask you to listen carefully to the voices of the fairy godmother, 
Lady Tremaine and the narrator at the beginning because they might, if you're a Disney fan, they might be a little famous to you, a little little familiar to you. Wonderful. Great things to look out for, and we'll look out for the hidden Mickey as well. So listeners, we'll see you on the other side. Listeners, that was as delightful as I remembered it. I absolutely loved it. So I don't think I really talked about this at the beginning, but I, I don't have a whole lot of memories about Cinderella. I do about the, the mice and, and their scenes and some of that stuff. But I think when I was a kid, I thought it was, you know, a girl movie. I had I have a there's a big joke in my family about how I didn't want to watch The Princess Bride for a very me and my cousin wouldn't watch The Princess Bride because we thought it was a girl movie. And then finally they made us watch it and we were like, this is the best thing ever. And I felt kind of not this is the best thing ever, but this is a great movie. It's wonderful. We um, had a friend who is a mom of a three year old and a one year old. And she was saying, you know, she hadn't watched it since she was a kid. And she went and watched it with her three year old and was like, you know, Cinderella is such a great role model because she's always kind. She's always giving. And we'll highlight that throughout. But um, one of the parts that gets me is like the stepsisters and the stepmother are relentless. They're always nagging at her. They're always and Cinderella never loses her temper. And she's just like kind of going about her day and making the best of it. Like she is the definition of a silver lining. Well, you pointed out a point in the movie where Lucifer does something bad and she's like, Oh, Lucifer. Yeah, I can't remember the specific part, but we'll get to it because I did write that down in my notes. But there are so many examples of that. And so I'm really looking forward to talking about it. But I wanted to say at the start of this, I know we have a lot of moms out there, both moms who are moms of young children as well as moms of older children. We would love to hear from you listeners. I would love to know, was Cinderella an influence on you or your children? You know, um, what what do you see as her, you know characteristics things like that you know ryan and i don't have children but i think this is such a great i think she's such a great princess in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. um and she is so gentle and kind and so i'm curious um for any of you who have watched it with your children uh kind of your experience we'd love to hear those stories if you've got them out there well let's let's dive in yeah and and i think we start with you know something that's becoming kind of a trope in disney movies that's the not necessarily live action, but the uh, picture of the book that opens. The storybook. And I wrote beautiful credits. The animation and listing all of the names. It's so beautiful. But both Ryan and I said there's a song playing that's singing about Cinderella. I have no recollection of that song. I can't even tell you how it goes now. Me I feel either. like it just came and yeah. went. So it certainly won't be up for the, the, the best musical number. Yeah. <laughs> and something I want to mention here, because that's where we noticed it, there are extras. So if you have Disney Plus, and we'll talk about one of the extras we watched in a little bit, uh, but be sure to look up the extras. Um, we're going to start doing that as well in our research. Uh, but there were a lot of little fun short video clips uh, about behind the scenes and about one character specifically we'll talk about in a little bit. Uh, so if you have Disney Plus, it's a really neat way. And I'm sure, too, if you have the DVD, I know a lot of them, when they were re-released, they put the extra features. Uh, and Ryan and I are huge uh, fans of extra features in movies. Uh, so I would recommend those as well. But as Ryan says, it opens on this gold storybook of Cinderella. And at first, it's um, these really pretty narration or not narrations, animations of kind of the land and the castle and of where Cinderella lives. Mm-hmm. And and this is where we have a narrator at the beginning that yes. I asked you to listen out for. And guys, 
That is also the voice of Cruella DeVille. And I couldn't pinpoint it. It was driving me nuts. It was it was like the elephant in um, Dumbo where it was like, I know her voice. How do I know her voice? And uh, it was the same with the narrator. So it is fun to make those connections and see uh, that Disney uses those voices. But it starts off telling the story of kind of the backstory of Cinderella. This, as Tara pointed out, this all takes place in about 24 hours. Yeah, so it's a 24-hour story uh, once the narrator stops, yes. once Cinderella is grown, when we see her. So but it's, before that... Cinderella is with her father, and, and her mother passed, and her father thought that she needed you know, to have a motherly influence in her life. So she remarries, remarries to a woman who had children, two daughters the same age. And the narrator describes the daughters as awkward daughters. Yeah, her two awkward daughters. And then, I don't know why I said that like a man. It was, it was, yeah, it was a woman narrator, but yes. yeah. And she also, the stepmother is described as cold and cruel and is very jealous of the characteristics of Cinderella. Even as a child, she's mm-hmm. warm and kind. Well, and so eventually they say the father passes and then Cinderella eventually turns into a servant for the family. And the whole estate kind of goes to ruins. Now, this is something interesting because I was while we were watching this, I was looking up IMDb stuff about the uh, live action Cinderella. And her character is named Ella in the movie, in that hmm. movie, because Cinderella, if I remember correctly, was not her name in the story. Her name was something, but it was the cinders was the fact that she was constantly covered with soot. And sleeping, I think in one version of the story, she, she slept sleeps. in the fireplace. Yeah. Or mm-hmm. Not in a but open, like but by like the in the cinders. hearth or whatever. Yeah. So she was covered with soot, so that's where her name's Cinderella. Yeah. But they don't really mention that here. They don't that's talk just about her name. that here. Uh, and so the next scene we see... This is when I made the joke to you that we get to see what it's like trying to wake Tara up in the morning. Yes, I, I wrote Felia Cinderella as my note. <laughs> so basically it opens on the tower... Um, we're told that kind of this state has gone to ruins, but Cinderella's keeping it in really good shape because it looks pretty good overall. Uh, I know they said that, but the whole place looked very nice. I know. Uh, but it opens on the tower and the birds, I so remember the birds opening her curtain. Mm-hmm. So you open the curtain and she has a view to the castle. And we, of course, want to highlight that the castle that we see in Cinderella is the very famous castle in Walt Disney World. So a castle yes. that has lots of memories for lots of folks out there. Uh, listeners, I'm going to give another shout out. Uh, if you have pictures in front of the Cinderella castle, we'd love to see them on Facebook. Uh, so send them. I think that would be really fun, uh, after this episode airs, uh, to share, you know, family photos, whatever you've got in front of the castle. Uh, so it opens up on that. And I literally wrote, feel you Cinderella, because the birds are trying to wake her up and she's like, no, no, I'm not ready. And, you know, she puts the pillow over her head and they're chirping in her ear. And she talks about how she was dreaming and how she wasn't ready to wake up from the dream. And that's where we hear one of the many famous songs in this movie. A dream is a wish your heart makes. Well, yes, because she's well, the, the birds ask by going tweet, tweet, tweet. She goes, yes, I can't tell you because then it'll ruin the wish. And yeah, yeah. The that. wish won't come true if I yeah. tell you what I was dreaming about. And so all the birds come to sing and listen, and that's where we're introduced to the mice. And so this whole sequence is her getting ready in the morning with the melody. Mm -hmm. Either she's humming or singing the lyrics to A Dream is a Wish Your Heart Makes. And uh, before she starts getting ready, uh, the clock chimes. And I love that whole uh, phrase that she says, I can't remember it all, but she calls the clock a killjoy, and it's time (laughs) to start another day. Uh, you know, and, and her just kind of being like, oh, it's, you know, she's happy, but yes. she's more just like, I want to be back in dreamland versus like the reality of starting my day. Well, because her reality sucks. Yeah, her reality's not great. So that's as she's getting ready. And mm-hmm. uh, Ryan asked this. I had a nurse who um, 
in assisted living, when you're giving like a sponge bath oh, right, to somebody, right. she used to call them bird baths. And I always loved that term. And so I use that now if I'm referring to a bird bath and using it with care, with music. And the birds put a sponge in there and soak it and up. Soak and soak it up, bring it out, and then bring her. it over to Cinderella. And so Ryan asked if that's where she got the term from. And I have no idea. I wish I was still in touch with her. I'd love to ask her that. It's interesting to me that like um, there's this very specific sound they're doing whenever they do someone talking underwater when it's Pinocchio and Jiminy the underwater. Garble- yeah, I wrote that down. Kind of like the gurgling or garbling she sings as the water like pours over her. Because at first I thought it was like they were legitimately like drinking water and doing it, but she's just singing and then it changes to this. So I'm almost kind of, I'm going to do a little study and see what I can find about this It noise. sounded like her voice, but maybe not. I don't know. Uh, no, it is, but yeah. I'm saying it sounds like they're putting a filter oh i see but i don't know what they could and couldn't do back in 1950 so apparently what one thing they could do is the whatever the 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 noises for the chipmunks from the alvin and the chipmunks album because that's what a lot of the mice sound like i love the mice's language because they they mispronounce they don't mispronounce but the way they pronounce words and kind of the way that they have a shorthand with each other you still understand what they're saying it's like a very specific pigeon language and they yes. have like they say they 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 shorten things a certain way and they repeat Jacques stuff. repeats Jacques is the one who's always like Gus Gus or I wrote it down somewhere he repeats a lot of things do we figure out if it was Jacques or Jack she Jack? says Jacques I think in okay. the movie I think that's how she refers well, to you him. know what we're going a little international with this either way we'll try well speaking of which he comes to Cinderella is this the point where he says there's a mice yeah so cinderella i noticed this he starts talking about how there's a mouse in a trap and she opens the door saying that before she knows he's in a trap she opens the door saying oh there's a new mouse we need to get him clothes and that's where i don't we need think to get I her ever... clothes because he yes. thought it was a girl but i don't think i ever put together that cinderella makes all the clothes for the mm-hmm. mice like i either forgot about that or didn't realize it but you know she goes into her drawer where her sewing stuff is kept and she has all these little outfits And yes, she gets the dress first. And it's interesting because I think this movie is kind of the... the, Snow White's the same way, but it's like this impetus of like, why do the animals like the princesses? And in this case, Cinderella is specifically doing good deeds for the animals. They don't just like follow her around. She saves the animals and... She dresses them. She gives them a place to live. She feeds them later. she feeds them. So he warns her that Gus is in the trap and so they go down and they get Gus and she puts on his shirt and it kind of rolls up because it's a little snug and she helps make it fit for him. Well it shows that shot of her looking at the, the, the trap that will post yes, that I was like yeah. this is horrifying. It is horrifying seeing it's a very her close head up. so big. Um, but then she names him Oct- Octavius. Octavius and Gus for short and then that's when Jacques is like Gus Gus and yeah. so that's he repeats Gus Gus, but then he also starts warning him about Lucifer. So before we even see Lucifer on the screen, the cat, uh, the mice are talking about him and how he's scary and how you need to watch out for him. But he's a good narrative device to bring because he becomes, you know, it's, it's funny, you know, instead of just all this stuff happening now, Jacques is like explaining everything to Mm -hmm. Gus, AKA explaining everything to us, the, yes, the viewer, Gus, us, us, Mm. uh, So we go about following Cinderella through her day. So we see how she's getting the house ready. She pulls the curtains. She doesn't wake the stepsisters or the stepmother up yet, but she's doing all of that. And then we meet Lucifer, who is one of my favorites. I love Lucifer so much. He made me laugh so many times in this. 
But he is so smug from moment one that we meet him because she's trying to get him up. He's got his own like very regal bed next to the stepmother and she keeps calling him and he like puts his his tail and his butt in her face and like goes to sleep back, goes back to sleep. And she's like, it's not my idea for you to be fed first. Like this is the order. Like this is what I was told to do. Like, come on, like stop making my life difficult. So finally, Lucifer like goes down to the kitchen and then that's where we meet Bruno, the dog. Who Which plays a I, pivotal role later on in the film. But I completely forgot about Bruno's yeah. existence. And Bruno's dreaming, which Lady looks like Bruno when she dreams. And we always say she's chasing squirrels. But in Bruno's dream, he's, he's chasing, chasing the cat. cat. He's chasing Lucifer. And so this is one of the times where Cinderella is like, you know, Lucifer's got good qualities about him. And then she can't really think of one. But she's still trying to be positive about Lucifer. Even though Lucifer kind of makes her life miserable along with the rest of her family mm-hmm. uh and then lucifer sets bruno up like he's teasing bruno and he lays in a way that when he uh pokes him with his claw bruno snaps at him and it looks like he's going yeah to bite lucifer but it's because of how lucifer laid himself out and mm-hmm. then cinderella she doesn't punish bruno but she's like okay that's enough now you have to go outside because yeah. if you get in trouble they're not gonna let me keep you so uh, that's kind of what happens there. And then we see her going out to the chickens and the horse and she's doing the corn and feeding them. And that's when all the mice get excited that they also get breakfast. This is the, the scene where, well, there's a, there's a part where everybody's grabbing corn and running off. Gus Gus tries to take too much corn. Well, at first he has he that whole He can't get any of it because he's trying to get it from the chickens and they yes. all get it from him. And then she gives him a bunch. He tries to bring a bunch in when this starts to get him in trouble with Lucifer. Because the whole way they got outside is... Lucifer's blocking the door with his um, bowl of milk. Where he's doing that bit where he's just taking a drop of milk and just dropping so it on his tongue. So smug and so just like, Dainty. I have all the time in the world. Yeah. And so Jacques is like, one of us needs to lure him away mm-hmm. to these holes in the wall so we'll be safe. But he'll be focused there and then we can all go. And this is the first instance, and I tried to write it down every time I saw it, but I love how they use their tails. They use their tails in yeah. such creative ways, but one of the first ways they do that is they all put their tails together like they're sticks. Like, well, it's you, like one the... joy draws the short straw. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, You know, to see who, that's how they pick who's going to lure Lucifer. They wrap them all together, and Jacques grabs one, From and then the everybody unwinds, and whoever he's got, and he's got his own. Yeah. And then and Gus Gus is like shaking his head, like, congratulations. He's so excited, and all the other ones look like they're sending him off to yes. his death. They're all like crying and holding their I think, it, I think the music hats. does a legit funeral dirge yeah. at that point. Uh, so then you've got Jacques going and luring Lucifer. So they all get out there and they all get corn. And then when they're coming back, that's when Gus Gus drops all the corn. And then Lucifer is now distracted by Gus Gus and not, uh, Jacques who's in the wall. And I also think it's a new mouse, right? So I think Lucifer is also more intrigued (coughs) by Gus Gus because he's never seen him before, right? Yes. So it's- Well, he's also fat. It's a big meal. He's a little plump mouse. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, well, this is the scene and there's a lot of physical stuff here, but this ends with a scene where Gus Gus is hiding under, uh, teacups and Cinderella keeps going up and rearranging them. And, and Lucifer keeps looking under to see which one he is. And he does this one thing where he like looks where he should be. And you can clearly see Gus Gus there, but he looks at the wrong part, puts him down and then realizes Gus Gus is in that one. And then goes, I mean, yeah, like, this, so like, excited crazy, that he found face. Gus Gus. And then Cinderella comes in and is fixing because the, they're the breakfast trees. And that's, hold on just one second. I think that's Ward Kimball who did, 
Well, he did the. He did Lucifer. So yes, that's Feetsy. War... He did what? Feetsy was his cat. We yes, talked yes. About... So Ward yeah. Kimball did that sequence, and it was funny because in the documentaries, everyone was like, "Like that's a sequence that we weren't really aiming for in this movie because it was they were trying to do a little bit more real with the other characters." Yeah, and, and it, it, they were talking about essentially he showed it off, and everyone was like, "Oh, I wish we could do." That. Yeah, it was really good, and this is also when you hear all the bells ringing. So there are bells that go down to the kitchen that the stepmother and the stepsisters can ring to notify Cinderella. But in addition to ringing, they're also, like, shouting her name. Yes. And my note is she's so calm. She keeps her cool so well. She's just like, just a minute, I'm coming. Like, she never has a temper, which would not be the case if it was me. Like, eventually, I would be like, enough, guys. Well, I made the comment with you where I was like, what's the downside of her not doing these? Like... But that's the thing is, I think she's she's, so good-hearted. She just, like, she wants to... I don't even know if it's people pleasing, but it's like, well, this is my lot in life. And yeah. This is what's being asked of me. So I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. You know, earlier she said she was very nice about the people, about Lucifer and stuff. I don't think she ever says anything mean about her stepsister. No. About her stepmother. She She's doesn't just... say anything cruel about anyone. And, you know, there's something to be said about... It, it doesn't even feel like she's just rolling over and taking it. No, I don't think so. I think she's always looking for the silver lining. Instead of focusing yes. on the negative, she's always looking at the positive. And I will say I do that to a certain degree, but she does it like 10 times better than anyone I know. <laughs> um, so she goes up with the trays. She's balancing one on her head and two in her hands at one in each hand as she's going up the steps and... Gus Gus is still under the teacup and only Lucifer knows that Gus is under there. And this is where we see her lose her shoe for the first time. She loses mm-hmm. it on the steps going up and then just quickly slips her foot back into it. But it's a nice little nod to what happens later. And then she drops off the breakfast trays. And then we hear the stepsister screaming and they both immediately go into the stepmother's well, room to tattle on Cinderella. Well, it's she puts it in each of the three rooms and then Lucifer, you can tell he's waiting to hear which he's one screams. He's waiting to hear, yeah, so, so he, he knows know. where the mouse is. Yeah. Uh, so as they run out, I believe Gus Gus runs out too because Lucifer traps Gus. Uh, the and stepsisters go talk to the stepmother. Then they come out and they say, you're in for it now. And then the stepmother... Well, Cinderella frees Gus first from... From Lucifer, that, she's, that may be true. And then, yeah, and then Gus or Lucifer runs into the stepmother's because then you get that great shot of him like going into it's. She's in her kind of like her bed with curtains, and it's dark. It's you dark. Can't you her. can't see her face at and all. Sh- and Lucifer goes in and sits down. You can't see on him, her you, bed, but then you see green eyes. Yeah, his eyes. And so that's when we really see her. She's so ominous and intense in this scene, and it really gives you. The feeling of the power she has over the household. And that was something you were talking about later. At the end of the day, this is not a witch. This is not a, like, magical villain. This is just a mean old woman. A mean woman, yeah. And I think that that is scarier than... Not to say that other villains aren't scary, but somebody like Maleficent or somebody um, like Ursula, where... It's you know they're more fictional, right? Like this is a woman you could meet in life. Well, the thing hypothetically, that, the thing I think that's interesting about her is she's got she's so calm, but there's so much like anger and, and there's emotion, so much intensity, to right her. under it. Because even, yeah, well, two 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 things I remember about this. One is in this scene, she goes, "Oh, you've got a lot of time to do uh, pranks. Well, maybe we can do this." You know the the, the yeah carpet? pranks referring to yeah. the mouse. Yeah. yeah, you know the carpet, clean it. Like and she like. Does it's like very sharp and very quick, very yeah, mean, and then back to just stirring mm-hmm. her. And there's a part later during the music lesson with the two stepsisters where she says, 
this above everything else, self-control. And you can tell, like, her thing is you can get a lot of what you want if you seem calm. Well, and she's very clever. We see this throughout, and we'll talk about that. But, Mm -hmm. yeah, she's so intense. And Lucifer is so smug again, sitting (laughs) on the bed with her. Right, because the last chore is, and don't forget to give Lucifer a bath. And then, yeah, and then he's like, oh, no, now it's to me, too. Uh, and then I wrote here, I love her teal ring. Listeners, I love teal, and I love the stepmother's jewelry. She's got, like, this brooch that's teal. She's got earrings and this ring that matches. Uh, but then it cuts to the castle. So we go to the castle, and we find out that the king is very angry. The first scene we see, he throws his crown through the window, and it has a crown-shaped yes. uh, hole in the glass. What do you think of with that? Because I feel like that's such a... Like, when I think of that, there's a scene in Who Framed Roger Rabbit where Roger flies out the window, and there's... Yeah. That's just what I think of when uh-huh. I, I refer to like the Roger Rabbit moment. Yeah, and so that's what happens there, and he's with the Duke, and he's so upset because his son isn't married, and all he wants is grandchildren. And we find that out later, too, that that's, that's really, like, what he wants behind this, even more so than, like, wanting his son to find love. He doesn't really care if his son's in love. He just wants him to find a mate, essentially. And these two are very, get along, like, they're a very good comedic duo, which is, I think, doubly impressive by the fact that it's the same actor doing both voices. Yes, we looked that up because we were curious who the voices were as we were watching it, and it's the same actor, which is so neat. I'll find out his name so we can give credit. Yeah, the Duke is so skittish, and the King is so intense, even though he's tiny. He's short and round and very mighty. Uh, And so you watch this whole sequence of him explaining, well, the prince is coming back tonight, so let's throw a ball. And we're going to invite every woman, you know, every maiden, every lady from every household in the kingdom and surely he'll be able to find at least one that will meet you know what he wants in a woman lewis van ruten interesting enough jacques and gus gus are also the same yes i forgot about that yes i knew that and forgot about that that they're the same voice as well so we now we kind of find out what's going on at the castle and now the duke has this big task of putting together a ball by tonight so sending out invitations getting everything ready so you know then we cut back to the music scene that ryan mentioned earlier so now we're back at the house with the sisters singing sweet nightingale one's playing the flute one is singing and (laughs) singing is generous yeah and the stepmother's (laughs) playing piano and so you see cinderella down at the bottom of the steps uh hand mopping hand cleaning the floors and there's a dustpan full of dust that she swept up and uh this scene when she starts singing sweet nightingale uh you see her reflection in the bubbles and then the harmonies come in and that was a very specific technique overdubbing Mm -hmm. so it's just it's just the idea of we're going to play the song and like everything used to i think be recorded recorded somewhat live and this was they record her then they record her singing a, a harmony. harmony. Then they record her singing yet another harmony. And then they put it all into one track so that it sounds like she's three parts singing at once. And in 1950, that was a pretty new technique. Yes. And not a lot of people had done it. And I believe you said this was the first time Disney used it. It was the first time a lot of people had done it. And it was interesting because the story I heard from Eileen Woods was uh, she... The voice of Cinderella. The voice of Cinderella. She sang her version. And then Walt listened to it and then was sitting there for five minutes and they're like, oh, no, he doesn't like it. And his story was, you know, I envi- and he started saying, this is my vision. It's she sings and a soap bubble comes up and then another one comes up and it's two different. It's the harmony. And he laid it all the whole scene out and they were like, well, I think we can do that. Yeah. 
And it's so beautiful. It's mm-hmm. so gentle and delicate almost, the melody when she sings it, especially like because bubble. like a soap <laughs> bubble, yeah. Especially because it's in contrast to first you hear the melody with the stepsisters and you don't want to hear it. But then you hear Cinderella sing it and it is just so mm-hmm. uh, enchanting. And so uh, Lucifer, of course, sees the dustpan and as she's daydreaming and singing this song, he has walked over the entire floor mm-hmm. in, in dusty, muddy prints. And so now she's just really annoyed because now she has to go and do everything over again. And then that's when she gets an urgent letter from the prince. There's a knock on the door. And this is the same character who later tries to put the shoes on everybody, I believe right? so, yeah. <laughs> I like it. So He's he, got a very Mr. Toady. A Mr. little bit, yeah. I wonder if he's Mr. Winky like, or the, or the horse. Oh, that's interesting from, yeah, from Toad's story. So he drops off a letter that is announcing a ball for the prince, but Cinderella doesn't open the letter. Like, she's very interested. She's like, oh, my goodness, it's urgent. I, I, you know, and you can tell she's hesitant to interrupting the music session because she's obviously been told not to, but she doesn't explicitly say that. But she knocks on the door, and that's when the stepmother, like, slams her hands down on the keys and is like, enough. And Cinderella opens the door and... The stepmother says, I've told you never to interrupt us. So, sorry, just backing up. He is, I don't, I can't find if he's in the other ones, but he definitely is in Mary Poppins as a voice. Oh, fine. 101 Dalmatians as a voice. Peter Pan. Oh, Alice in great. Wonderland. And oh, he's like, I love so he's, seeing the recor- recurring voices. This voice sounds like a voice I've heard in a million Disney yeah, movies. Like the great. like real brassy mm-hmm. uh, English voice. So yeah, so the stepmother is very annoyed that Cinderella's interrupted them, and then she explains that, you know, there's this letter, the stepmother reads the letter about the ball, and Cinderella says, oh, well, every maiden, that means I'm included. Can but I go? She, but she, you, yours even sounds like, she's like, I've pulled the trick on you. She's just immediately like, I'm a maiden. Like, yeah, she's, she's not... like, she's like, no, I should be included in this. I'm yes. part of the family, I think is what she says. Yeah. And so the stepmother, always sly and clever, says, if you get all your work done and if you can find something suitable to wear, then you can go. So Cinderella is excited and she leaves the room and the stepsisters are like pouting and so annoyed that the stepmother said she could go. And the stepmother said, I said if. And so that's when you realize that they're going to try to sabotage Cinderella at every turn. And so she goes up to her tower where she sleeps and she wants to fix up her mother's old dress. But of course... The minute she starts to look at the pattern, she's interrupted by the sisters. And that's when we get to hear another famous song by the mice, Cinderella, Cinderella. Mm-hmm. And so the mice start singing and Gus and Jack go to get some trimming. Uh, and, you know, the, they, they sing the song and are starting. Well, to well they do the line, ready. leave the sewing to the women. The women, which was we'll a little get the trimming. Yeah. Like, again, if we're really looking for, like, trying to find something that's not great in here, that might be that, but it. No. Yeah. <laughs> I just thought it was funny. Leave the sewing to the women. They're yeah. like, okay. Do, and do, do. so then we go back to what the stepsisters wanted. And they're complaining that they have nothing but rags to wear. And so they're mm-hmm. throwing things down on the ground they don't want. And one is a pair of turquoise beads and another is a pink sash. And so Gus Gus and Jock are like, oh, we're going to grab those. Like, yeah. they don't want them. We're going to use them for the dress. And then this is when uh, Lucifer and the mice come into play again. And he's sleeping, and they're trying to grab it ever so quietly, and then he wakes up. Yeah, so it's, it's this whole sequence of 
a cat and mouse game. Yeah, this is one of one of the one of those very physical sequences that Yeah, Lucifer sits to... on the beads and there's this whole thing and by there, the end you, Well, speaking going back to Tails, there is a part where the, the beads all break and they're trying to get all the, the beads. Yes, together. I have that written down. Yeah. And they string them on their tail <laughs> to carry them out. They also lift each other up by their tails, like when they're going up the steps and things. And the other thing I wanted to mention in this sequence is Lucifer gets stuck in the arm of a white blouse and he looks like a snake. Like, trying to go after the mice a yes. little bit with the way he's kind of stuffed into that sleeve. There's an earlier snake bit where he's following the tea trays that Gus is under. And he goes up the stairs and he goes... And he does it like... Yeah, he lo- slithers like, almost. <laughs> it's yeah. really gross. Uh, and so then we go back to the dress. And I just... The mice are so clever. Like, the animation, it was really thought out on how do we get the mice... To look like they could actually do this. So you see the birds holding the apron and the mice are in the pockets so they can sew and they can move up and down the dress mm-hmm. to work on it. Uh, you know, and it's teamwork with sewing. You love that part. Yeah, the, the, one of them is poking them in and the other one's inside the dress ducking yeah, and so taking it and poking so it back out. Yeah, so they're passing the needle back and forth. And then the thread and the needles are in the shoe and they lift the shoe up so they can get different thread and things like that. And so I just love that whole scene watching them make the dress. Mm -hmm. And so then now the clock chimes, it's 8 p.m. So it kind of skips ahead and people are arriving. We see them at the castle. Tara was really focused on the time. She's like, how much time is she going to have at the ball? I know. I just, (laughs) I need to know. Uh, So the carriage arrives out front of the house and Cinderella, it you know, announces that the carriage arrives and the stepsisters are like, oh, you didn't have time because you had to do all the work. Like, you know, and they're not ready yet. And they literally had nothing to do all day because mm-hmm. they made Cinderella do everything. And so she goes up and she's really sad. And all the mice say surprise. And Gus Gus says, happy birthday. Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> Jack's like, no, 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 no. And they surprise her with the dress. And so Cinderella is so excited. And she throws on the dress. And right before they're about to step outside, she goes, wait, 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 wait for me. And the step, the sisters start throwing a fit that she's ready, that she's mm-hmm. coming with them. And then the stepmother immediately notices the beads. Like, she's not dumb. She notices the beads and knows that they're one of her daughters. And so instead of saying that, she walks over and she goes, what lovely beads. They really put the look together. She has some line like that. Don't you think, Drusilla? Yeah, and it's to bring attention to Drusilla because she's not picking up on it to Mm -hmm. be like, hey, these were your beads that you threw on the ground earlier. And so the stepmother instigates the whole fight. She she lays the groundwork for the stepsisters to go over and be very ugly and ripping at Cinderella's dress it's and a pulling everything apart. Scene. Yeah, it's it's really mean um, and cruel. But, and, but I just mean the way it's animated yes, and it's cut. Yeah, it's, it's very there aggressive. Are, there are parts where they really put you in Cinderella's shoes ha 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 yeah because um like it looks like they're attacking the camera it's very emotional yeah this they're, they're looking right at the camera mm-hmm. and pulling and things they're ripping out things. yeah and so then the stepmother cuts it off again nothing happens without her say so and so she goes that's enough and then they just go off on their way and so cinderella uh is so upset and she goes out to the garden which i believe is the garden we see in the beginning when she's with her father and the horse i think that's the same mm. fountain uh, and she goes out and she's under a weeping willow, weeping, like very upset on this bench. And all the animals are sad for her. And then all of a sudden you start to see these twinkles and sparkles come around. And she's so defeated at this point. She's like, well, what's the point? Like, what's the point in dreaming? You know, nothing ever happens. Like, well, she's very, she, this like really, this 
this knocked her down. Like she's so positive and this, this got to her. And that's a big deal for this character because it just feels like the dreams and her, her ability to dream is the and thing that got so her positive. through this life. And yeah. now she's like, I'm done. Yeah. And then the fairy godmother appears and I wrote, she was so normal and okay with all of a sudden her head is in this fairy godmother's lap and just starts talking to her like she knows her. Yeah, she's never like, who, well, she is kind of like, oh, uh, she, but she seems like someone had just like popped around. But for... like, if it were me, I'd be like, and who are you? Like, like, she, like why did this person apparate? as they're talking, she's like, oh, you must be my, and I believe the fairy godmother says, that's right, dear, I'm your fairy godmother. So eventually they get to that point, but she is in no way surprised that the fairy godmother just like appears like this. It's just interesting because the idea of a fairy godmother is so ingrained in popular culture and vernacular that, but it comes from this point. And if you actually watch it, there's not really a big explanation of what a fairy godmother is. I guess it's something from fairy, like that's what I'm wondering. Was it something that people knew about? Listeners, if you know it, uh, shoot us an email, but we'll also maybe do a deep dive or yeah. do some, some searching on... Well, yeah. Because a godmother and a godfather, if you take the fairy part out, are another set of surrogate parents, essentially. Yeah. You know, um, depending on your culture and your faith and that sort of a thing. Uh, but it is interesting to see maybe where the origins of fairy godmother comes from. Now, before we go into the scene some more, speaking of deep dives, I think we should talk about the, the yes. little film we saw... So this was one of the extras. Yes. And, and one of and the we, extras. And we highly recommend checking it out. Yes, it was so good. It's like a little over minutes. 11 minutes. Yeah, 11 yeah. or 12 minutes. And it's called The Real Fairy Godmother. And it talks about how that character came to be. And one of the animators, um, he based the fairy godmother on what he thought his wife would look like when she was older. He used her characteristics and um, kind of her mannerisms and... and you see her when she's older and he nailed it. Like mm-hmm. he, he really saw it. Um, and her name is Mary Alice O'Connor and you find out, uh, I believe he's Kendrell O'Connor is the animator, but you yeah. find out that she was driven to help others from a very young age. So you find out that she has done all of these good deeds and all of these things for other people in this documentary. And I don't want to give away too much because I would, I do recommend watching it. But one of the things we found interesting, she ran, households of famous people and one of them was basil rathbone which, the the narrator of the mr toad segment of the yeah. last film so we found that interesting and she also worked with the hollywood canteen somewhere mm-hmm. that soldiers could go during world war ii to to watch entertainers and different things like that and so they she, tell she ended the story up being of her known, life yeah she ended up being known as the the fairy godmother of, of burbank, burbank. yeah she did so many uh good deeds and fundraising and all these things one of the fun quotes i think her husband said was uh she'll do any job as long as she doesn't get paid for it yeah or something like that yeah something like that and uh it also goes into how the carriage was uh was done and instead of drawing animations he actually built a model so you get to see that and that's really cool and this extra is all from the narration of her children mm-hmm. as well as students of her husband, uh, one of the animation students. They talked about a scene where all his students, because after he retired, he worked at uh, California Institute of Art, I believe. Yeah. And he brought in a bunch of students, and there's a picture of John Lasseter and Brad Bird, which I thought was interesting. I, I, I don't know if they were there to celebrate him or if they were his students, but either way, like they seem to be influenced by him. Yeah, and so you find out that he really captured his wife's personality as well as her looks as he uh, designed her and animated her for Cinderella. 
And it, I just, I can't recommend it enough. I got very, very teary. Uh, another big accomplishment of hers is she founded the Family Service Agency mm-hmm. uh, that did a lot of social work for families in the Burbank area. So it's a very short extra, and I really think it is worth, worth the watching. time to watch. Even if you watch it after Cinderella or just put it on and don't watch Cinderella, but very much it's a very sweet story and a very interesting connection. Uh, so we're introduced to her and she's, I love a, an aloof character, an older, an older lady who's aloof is like right up my alley. Now we talked about who else this voice is, correct? I think we've talked about it in Dumbo, but we can mention it again it's, here. It's the, the cattiest of the catty elephants in yes. Dumbo. Kind of the, the, and the then queen she's bee. also The queen E for yes. elephant. Oh, I like it. She's also the voice of Flora, who's another fairy godmother in Sleeping Beauty. She becomes the Queen of Hearts, and she's also a voice in Lady and the Tramp as well. Did we mention that Lady Tremaine is Maleficent? We did not, no. So speaking of Uh, So famous voices, yes, Maleficent is Lady Tremaine. Uh, So, yeah, so she's aloof. She misplaces her wand, and then all of a sudden she's like, oh, I put it away, and then just pulls it out of thin air. She she draws a straight line with her fingers, and then it just appears. Yeah. And I was pointing out the thing I really like about her wand is it's just one color, no shading, anything. And to me, this is kind of a weird association, but it almost looks like a lightsaber in that it's just, since it's a solid color, it gives it this kind of weird otherworldly And the sparkles and everything all around it, too. It's, like, very... Right, mystical, magical. I mean, that looks thing. typical magical, but this is different to me because it's it's just interesting. It it definitely, like I said, reminded me of a lightsaber or yeah. like if you work in any sort of special effects and have seen the reflective bulbs that they put. They used to put on. They do it differently now, but they used to put them on mocap suits. Mm. Like that's what it looks like, where it just it reflects light evenly no matter which angle you're looking at it. Mm. It was interesting. So she starts trying to remember the magic words, bibbity bobbity boo, and we go into the song, and I am a firm believer that you can sing a song on any syllable, and I'm wondering if this was ingrained for me from this song, because she does, like, kind of sing it on different syllables. She uses bibbity bobbity boo but she also just uses syllables as she's singing the melody a little bit throughout it. But she starts with a pumpkin, and Cinderella is very surprised, why are we starting with a pumpkin? And, of course, that turns into the carriage. Well, Cinderella keeps thinking she's about to fix her dress, her dress which yeah. is in tatters, and, and then she does and she, something she else. she focuses on the, the pumpkin first, and the horse is ready to help. The horse is like, oh, if that's the carriage, I'm going to be the horse with it. And she go, and she turns the mice to horses instead. And uh, then the horse becomes the coachman. And when the mice turn to horses, this is the poor Lucifer part. The mice turn to horses and Gus Gus runs away and doesn't get turned right away. And so then Lucifer puts him under a bowl. And so he thinks he's got him. And then he turns into a horse. And then when Lucifer sees he's a horse, Gus Gus neighs at him. And Lucifer, like, gets spooked and runs away. And that's when Cinderella says, poor Lucifer. But again, like, Lucifer is causing all the havoc. Lucifer sucks. Yeah, I love Lucifer. But yeah, he's a mess. Uh, so the horse becomes the coachman, which I love. The fairy godmother says, you'll hold the reins tonight. So mm-hmm. instead of being the one who's pulling the, the carriage and Bruno is the one that opens the door for her. And so then she's like, well, you're ready to go. And Cinderella's like looking down at her dress, like, but I, I can't go in this. And then she finally, she goes, 
focuses. But my dress and the yeah. and the fairy god is like, yes, it's very lovely. Oh no. Oh no, you can't go in that. Like she just was so unaware that the dress is in tattered because she was focused on what she was doing. The fairy godmother isn't in the movie very long, but has a very such uh, a I mean, strong presence, yes. and I think that's a testament to the woman she was based on. Another strong personality, mm-hmm. uh, in such a great way. So she transforms the dress, which Ryan mentioned um, is such a beautiful animation sequence. It's so quick, but you literally see everything transform. It doesn't just change. Like, it folds and, like, the dress folds out and becomes the other one. Her hair kind of folds up into the, into the bun. classic look. Yeah. You know, it does all that stuff. I thought it was very, very interesting. It's great. And so then you see the glass slippers as well. And the fairy godmother warns, but this is only till midnight. And Cinderella is so gracious. She's like, oh my gosh, that's so much time. Thank you. Midnight. Yes. That's great. She's <laughs> like, no, no. Like... Like, you need to just listen. Every The spell will be broken. Like, everything yes. will be done at midnight. So you need to remember that. She's like, oh, okay, thank you so much. And uh, and then she goes on her way. But I, but I did like the way she played it of like, thank you. Yeah, she's so, so like, grateful gracious. and gracious for this gift she's been mm-hmm. given. And so we go back to the castle and the prince is meeting all the ladies and he cannot be more bored. He's just <laughs> like, okay, here's another one. And we talk about this, how the prince really has no personality. And I wanted to mention a note here about that, that I read, is he actually had a larger role and more character development in the earlier drafts. I think in an earlier draft, uh, he's hunting deer. And I think there's different sequences that they did and eventually they cut out. And supposedly these elements of his development will be used for Kit which is the live action remake. So it's the Prince in the 2015 live action remake. And the reason I'm saying supposedly is because Ryan and I have not seen the live action because we were waiting to watch this Cinderella for the podcast. So (laughs) we will definitely check it out now that we have seen this Cinderella, but I am curious to see how they developed his character a little bit more because he really is nothing. I'll be honest. I wasn't waiting to watch the, (laughs) <laughs> oh, I am. Well, maybe I'll watch it. I mean, now I'm a lot more to excited to see it. I'm especially a lot more excited to see it since Kate Blanchett plays Lady Tremaine. Yes. And she's got to be so good. Very fierce. So uh, he's meeting all of the different women throughout the kingdom. He's very bored. And uh, we see Cinderella arrive. And all the guards, as she walks up the step, they're so... Uh, Steady. They, just, they yes. don't. They don't move. They're so so. What is still is the word I'm looking for. But they slightly all look to the side to give her an eye, like, oh, she's different. Or, yeah. You know, they, she catches their eye, and so as this is happening, we go up to the king, who is like so annoyed. He's like, he's got to find somebody. And the king and the duke are going back and forth, and then the duke is like, well, it can't all be magic, and he starts narrating exactly, exactly what, what happens, happens, which is the prince sees Cinderella standing, you know, in a far off. Uh, part of the castle and he goes up to her he looks through the stepsisters to see her because that's when they meet him and uh the king's like he says something about him being a windbag the duke and he's like look here yeah look here and pulls his monocle from the duke and is like look through your monocle and look what's happening the duke has a sweet monocle yeah and so the waltz conductor the king's like the waltz the waltz play the waltz and the sheet music on the stand you see it very quickly has so this is love on Mm -hmm. the sheet music 
And then they start the music and Cinderella and the prince dance together. And so you hear, so this is love. And listeners, you may be surprised to learn, <laughs> I was surprised to learn, this is Ryan's favorite song from the movie. I like it. It's a beautiful song. My favorite part, as I explained to Tara, was that the words are, so this is love. Do, 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 I just like that part. I just think that's, yeah. that's uh, interesting. And, and this is where we first hear the prince. The only time we hear the prince. He says he says another line later. He's got a couple spoken lines. Yeah, the but very brief lines. The prince of this lines. movie is fairly non-existent. Uh, and so we hear, he sings with her. Uh, and they're walking the grounds, and they're about to kiss, and it strokes midnight. And she's like, oh my gosh, I've got to go. Oh no, I never met the prince. And that's when you find out she has no idea this is the prince. Yeah, we which forgot we this. we forgot that she didn't realize, which makes it even more special, because the prince is like, oh, she just loves me for me. She has no idea mm-hmm. who I am. Uh, and so he's trying to get her to stay, and she's running away. And of course, that's the very famous scene where she leaves the slipper and yes. keeps running. It's her second time leaving a second shoe Second time somewhere. leaving the shoe. Although the first time she picks the shoe back up when she yes. loses it, uh, when she goes up the steps for breakfast. But my first thought but was, I, I, shouldn't... Oh. I was going to say, I think the big moral of this is to make sure your shoes are the right size. They're snug, yeah. Sometimes don't get... They're nice and snug. They don't need to be too loose or <laughs> else, you know, you can, who knows the opportunities you could be missing out on. I mean, if they're too snug, then you're missing out on an opportunity, wouldn't you... Are if they're you? too snug? Yeah, because then they don't fall off. The whole opportunity is she leaves a slipper behind. That's the opportunity. Oh. Don't that's you think? Good. No, that's a good point. Well, this has been uh, an <laughs> introspective <laughs> deep dive with Ryan and Tara. Uh, but anyway, uh, my <laughs> first thought was, well, shouldn't the slipper change back to whatever it was because it was magical? And then we kind of had a sidebar that I agree with that the step the fairy godmother knew what she was doing because Cinderella also gets to keep the other slipper sometimes, like that doesn't change back. Sometimes I think in storytelling it hurts to try and apply rules to magic and sometimes yeah. magic just gets to be magical and I like that this you know this let you know the point of the fairy godmother was to help Cinderella and they talk a little bit about it in the in the documentary we saw about the the fairy godmother of burbank about her helping her but helping her in a way that's just like she tried to help herself she her tried to do everything yeah. yeah she's giving her a little nudge and this was like we're gonna leave bread crumbs back to you but you but at the end of the day and we'll get there she still had to she still had to do yeah. yeah so so yeah so i like that as we talked about it while we were watching it and i wrote here i love the animation of everything changing back the mm-hmm. carriage going back to the pumpkin all the animals going back to who they are and uh you know, we we cut to Cinderella back in her rags, and the mice notice Cinderella. Look, you still have the slipper, and so that's when we see that she still has the slipper after all of this is done. And she's also talking about how much she enjoyed. Because that's another thing is like Snow White just kind of like, "Ooh, you kissed me," and they go off and become yeah. yeah. Like she's just like, "Oh, he was so nice." She and talks I never about met what the she prince, liked about him, but yes. I loved this gentleman I met so much. And so then we go back to the castle, and it's the next morning. And everything is so big compared to how short and round the king oh, is. Yeah, the bed the is so big. Yeah. The doors are so big. You know, we go back to seeing the king and he's sleeping in bed and he's dreaming about playing with his grandchildren. Mm. It's really all he wants. The tall stuff is kind of a good shorthand for opulence and yes. that sort of thing. And it's feeling very ominous and intimidating. Yes. More so in Cinderella's home, it feels more intimidating. But yes. It's also a very grand gesture in the castle with the prince and the king. And so the duke is very nervous. He knows he has to go in and knock on the door and tell him he lost the princess. Um, lost this woman that the prince has fallen in love with. And uh, 
the king is asking the duke for all the information at first. The duke comes in and can't get the story out that the princess is gone. And the king's like, well, did he propose yet? Did he do all these things? And Ryan was like, go ask your son. Yeah, like, well, it was very like, why aren't you talking to your the, son about the this? The prince is not only a, like minor part in the movie he's a minor part in the world yeah i feel like maybe probably because the duke and the and everyone else maybe raised him and the king really didn't i'm sure there's something like that but not that that makes it right but anyway the king basically goes mad he goes wild when he finds out oh it's hilarious he's like treason yeah sabotage and he goes with his sword and is like going after the duke and breaks his monocle and then they're jumping on the bed and they're like floating as they're Mm -hmm. having this conversation and the duke's like but you don't understand she left a slipper behind and so then uh the chandelier falls. The they get stuck the on the chandelier. It falls, and then you hear a goofy laugh. Yeah, you and hear not the a goofy, goofy laugh. Like, you hear, like yeah, I can't do it. Okay. Can you do it? I don't. I don't know if I want to. Try it, and we can edit it out. <clears throat> okay. It's 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 like. like Something that. like that. Yeah, that's closer than mine was. Um, and it's wow. definitely wow. You didn't give it to me. You were just like, it's closer than mine was. Because it's not quite it, but it is. It was good. I'm sorry. My own podcast. Ay, ay, ay. So uh, we hear that and we're like, hey, that sounded like Goofy. And then the Duke says, yeah, but the slipper could fit many girls' feet. And the king says, that's his problem. Like, the king's like, you just bring any woman, any woman you find who fits the slipper, bring them to the kingdom, and then the prince can sort it out, is mm-hmm. essentially uh, what the king says. So then you see this long decree on the castle wall, outside the castle, and it's also the decree that the Duke will eventually read to the stepsisters when yes. he shows up. So now we go back to Cinderella. So I found it interesting that the stepmother woke them up because in the day before, the stepmother sleeps in, and the stepmother is the last one she wakes up, and it's clear that that's the way the stepmother wants it. But mm-hmm. she has heard buzzing, or she's been up and about for some reason or another, and finds out that you know, they're coming around to the kingdom and they're trying to find the girl who fits this slipper. And so the stepmother wakes up the stepsisters and she describes the whole story because Cinderella still doesn't know that that was the prince she met. Mm-hmm. And she talks about how the I girl forgot. left behind the slipper. And so Cinderella drops the breakfast tray and then they're throwing all the laundry on her so they can get ready. And she is so goofy and dreamy looking, her well, face. She just looks as this far off stare. She's really, she's like, it's she's, the prince. It's like the, the prince man I fell in love with. Yeah. The person who also like loves me. me like the person the who prince. wanted me to stay. My dream is coming true. But the look, it's such a good it's animation. It's such a good look. Because it's also it's you're so seeing, out of character for her well I, I don't know it's just she's just so slow and sitting there and everything's being thrown at her and it's so like uh, uh, uh frenetic around her and the, well i mean like the animation is out of yes. character we've never seen her look like that is is i guess more of what i'm saying and it's such a good look and the stepmother of course nothing gets by her oh yeah she sees her looking like this and she is stone cold. Um, so Cinderella starts to walk away and is dancing and singing it. And you see the moment when the stepmother uh, remembers, like figures it out. And it zooms in on her. And the and not only does she have a stern look, 
but the the lighting starts she starts having like darker lighting and that's and it's and you're right it's just very this she looks very she's stone cold she's i think we both said it she was so intense in that moment and we paused it to take a picture so we'll be sure to post that i kind of if you guys are watching this look and see if her eyes stay lit more than the rest of her face i think they do yeah in a couple scenes in the scene later where she takes the key and things like that and her eyes change color in that scene where she takes the key i'm pretty sure they change color oh yeah um at least I think that they did, but they, mm. I don't think they did here. But they got very vibrant here. Uh, and then this is also where you see Gus is so fierce at protecting Cinderella because <laughs> he's like trying to protect her from the stepmother when she is uh, realizing that mm-hmm. it was Cinderella who left the slipper. Well, yeah, Cinderella goes upstairs and then like the stepmother sneaks in behind her to steal the key and the mice are trying to warn her. Yes. And she steals the key and locks her in the tower and heads back downstairs. Uh, one thing you're talking about with Gus Gus being defensive of her, he keeps doing that like curly from the three stooges, like thumb in his nose to like, like ready to fight. fight. It's so weird. Yeah. He's so, he's so ready to be in Cinderella's corner if he needs to be, no matter what's going on. And so then the Duke arrives at the house and Ryan noticed this and we rewound it. Anastasia's smile when the the stepmother introduces both stepsisters. Well, I also noticed, and I know listeners, you can't see this, but when they do a bow, they do this with their hands, like like oh, like yeah. the like a like a sign language for "I love you." They put mm-hmm. they put like the index finger under their chin, and the pinkies are up, and they're like, yeah. And then the f- I, the smile she does. I think they talked about it in the in the uh, uh, documentary I saw, but like yeah. Which by the way, okay, so. They're showing all the people who play everybody, and they, they Anastasia is, I guess, still alive. Or maybe they both were, and the other one didn't want to do it. But they show Anastasia, and who boy, Tara. You need to see, like, she looks like she is, they just pulled her off of, like, a Vegas side stage. I love that. Like, she's just like, oh, I was Anastasia. And she sat, she's just, like, brassy. Like, it's great. <laughs> it's amazing. She also, in the beginning... I think you made a comment about this as well. When they find out that the prince is throwing a ball, she says, oh, well, I'm very eligible. Yes. They're like, because he goes, every eligible maid. And she's like, I'm very eligible. Yeah, yeah. So uh, <laughs> the Duke comes in with his counterpart who has the slipper on the pillow. I think he's referred to as the doorman on, in, in here. He might be, yeah. Uh, and so he reads the decree, which is very long. And you can tell it's been a long day for the Duke. He's like yawning as he's reading it. He's very sleepy. He's over this for sure. And the sisters start to fight. And this is again where you see the stepmother reprimands them and says, girl, girls, your manners. She keeps trying to remind them like, come on now. Like you need to not be how you are all the time. Like just give me five minutes of like acting as you should so we can get through this. And so at the same time that all this is happening, the mice decide, Gus Gus and Jock decide that they're going to go for the key. And then it keeps going back and forth to them trying on the slipper. And it starts with Anastasia. And the slipper is so small on both of the stepsisters' feet. It almost looks like the slipper's just on Anastasia's big toe. Yes. It it definitely doesn't go past, like, the ball of their feet. Yeah. Which Uh, I don't know if they're supposed to have giant feet or if Cinderella has petite feet. Yeah, I don't know. But yeah, their feet are much larger. So this is another example of the mice using their tails again. Gus Gus ties his tail to the teapot that's next to the table where the stepmother's pocket, it's like the same level of where the key is in the pocket of her dress. And so he ties that to help 
Jacques go and grab the key. And so this is kind of like a whole sequence of them grabbing the key and they get the key and they have to go up all those stairs. And I made the comment that, you know, Ryan talked about in <laughs> uh, Fun and Fancy Free, uh, how with Jack and the Beanstalk, how Mickey and Goofy and Donald had to go up all those steps. This was many more steps, I think. Because uh, not only did they have to go up the steps of the main house, but then they had to go up the steps of the entire tower uh, with this giant key. And we get to the top of the steps and, you know, we're so excited that they've got the key and Cinderella realizes that they're there to help her. And then Lucifer traps Gus Gus under the teacup yet again. And then the rest of the mice come to the rescue at that the point. The mice and the birds. It basically becomes the battle against Lucifer, which is funny because yeah. the part where they run like a candle at him that you seem yes. really like and when a guy he goes and he just blows he it blows out it out again it. he's so smug he's like come on guys and then that's when cinderella says bruno like you have to go get bruno so all the birds and everybody goes down to get bruno and bruno runs up through the house and as this is happening now the other stepsisters trying on mm-hmm. this shoe now you've got drizilla drizilla Drizilla, I think, yeah anastasia is a real name drizilla is not a real name so. hey man you don't know uh i'm do you know a drizilla i don't know <laughs> but but anyway so i now i'm on a i'm curious but now that's what we're gonna name our daughter is no that what you're saying? no but uh so yeah so she we, could be dj okay but that makes me think of full house okay what's out it's fine <laughs> uh but anyway uh so it keeps going back and forth you're seeing them trying on the shoes you're seeing lucifer and what's going on there and uh, the Duke is asleep during half of this. And so a lot of the carrying on, he's not aware of. But then finally, the he's... The doorman really takes it in stride. He's getting, like, kicked in the head and yeah, stuff. Yeah, he's, he's just, just like, going like... along with it. And then when the Duke wakes up, he's very much like, okay, enough of this nonsense. Does it fit or not? Because if it doesn't fit, I yeah. need to keep moving on. And uh, that's when Bruno comes to the rescue and... He chases the cat out the tower window, and the last thing we see of Lucifer is him falling from the tower down to the ground. So I'm pretty sure Lucifer died. Now, what I did notice is in the like the 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 poster for the promotional for like you like Cinderella. Did you want to go ahead and watch Cinderella two? And Lucifer's in it. So Lucifer survives. But But my argument (laughs) is when they animated this in 1950, they had no intention of making that sequel. (laughs) <laughs> so I think I don't think Do we, that's another Disney villain that falls to his death. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, <laughs> I think he's included in this. So uh, the stepmother, as they're on their way out, they're like, are there any more maidens here? No. OK, we've got to go. And she has a cane and we've only seen her with this cane in this scene. And she puts the cane out and trips the doorman, the doorman. Um, oh, I guess I should say, as he's leaving, Cinderella comes down the stairs. Well, that's the part I was going to say. I'm sorry. I apologize. I kind of jumped ahead a little bit. That's okay. We've Listen, we, these, these could always be a little shorter. <laughs> um, there's the part where he starts looking through his monocle at Cinderella's feet, and he's like so excited, so like, oh, actual like normal size feet. They might feet. fit. <laughs> and so he sees her coming down, and he's like, oh, there is someone else in the house, and the stepmother is so annoyed that somehow she got free. That's when she puts the cane out and trips the doorman and the glass slipper shatters. So the stepmother thinks she's won. She thinks she's one-upped Cinderella again and has been very clever. And Cinderella very, I don't want to say naively, but she's very just like, oh, well, would it help I have the other slipper? (laughs) 
<laughs> she's always she's like she's, she's like I've got the other slipper right here. Like her and whole it's, life it's not could change. Well, its whole yeah. life could change, and it's right in front of her, and she's just like. I mean, does this help? Like, she doesn't seem to have any urgency. It's it's not from an ugly place. And the stepmother's face, when she pulls out that slipper. We're going to put that up. That is the one I think we zoomed in on more than the other one. We stopped and went back and we're like, look at that. Oh, it's so good. Uh, and then it cuts to the wedding, and we and see And the them... second scene in the whole movie where the love and the other love interest appears. Yeah, and we see them. Uh, they live happily ever after. We go back to the storybook, and the book the, closes. The mice seem to be living in the palace as well. Yeah, they're all dressed up. Uh, they've And I thought we saw the stepsisters living, but that must be another version of Cinderella I I've s- seen. Right. I feel like I remember one where she invites them to come live with and her. And they stay with her, but that must be another version I don't know what it is. What do you think? But what other I version of Cinderella with, have we seen? I mean, growing up, I think I've seen several different versions of mm. the story yeah. in general. So, but um, but yeah, that that sums it up, listeners. Uh, are you ready for the questions? Mm-hmm. Um, number one, how was the princess? Fantastic. Yeah, I think she's the best princess we've had, and I think she'll continue to be a strong contender. Oh yeah, she'll be as the, we move forward. What we measure the rest going I forward. I agree. Um, how was the prince? He's eh. nothing. I think I was thinking about this, and I think the prince in this more represents Cinderella's dreams. I think he takes a sidestep, and I think that's good because I think if you think of it of like she's falling in love with a man she barely knows, fine. We we've established that's something that happens in these old fairy tales, but I think he represents her dreams, and I think that was what was more important was these are these dreams she has to obtain. And that's where she's getting to. And her dream happened to be being a princess and marrying a prince. But I don't know that it was being a princess. I think or, her dream yes, was to fall in, in love. And I think her dream was to be loved in return. She has not shown any love. Yes. Once her father dies, she's shown no love. Yeah, that's a good point. She didn't really have an ambition to be a princess. But hey, that's a hell of a perk. And I think <laughs> in the lore of Cinderella, I think hypothetically... I could be wrong, but I thought her father was of royal descent, but I could have that completely wrong. I mean, I'm assuming she's Lady Tremaine, so he might have been a lord of some sort. Yeah. So I think there's a nobility there to some degree, but again, the stepmother, even if there was, isn't going to let her think that. Let's let's skip ahead. Well, let's do the sidekicks. So first, let's talk about the good guy sidekicks, which I believe are the mice. And, and the the so- mice... Is the fairy godmother a sidekick? Well, you talk about her in a bit, but let's talk about the mice first because I think they're a high standard. They're for great. Good the mice are a fantastic sidekick, and again, they're wanting to do good by Cinderella because she does good by them. And they're funny, and they're like add yeah. a, a lot of levity to the whole story mm-hmm. in a way that's not like distracting. Yes, agreed. Uh, the bad, the the fairy godmother, we of course both love. She has a very small part in this, but but she again, she's it's such a striking um, performance. Um, bad guy sidekicks. Lucifer. Lucifer is, is awesome. Is I love Lucifer. The stepsisters are. Funny. I, the stepsisters are annoying to me, <laughs> and I, that's the point. I think. Um, but they're a little too much. Yeah, I think I love Lucifer, and you know I could. You love to hate Lucifer. You legitimately hate the stepsisters. Yeah, like I don't care for the stepsisters. Um, and the Duke and the the King also some pretty good, not villain step sidekicks, but just kind of side characters that I thought. Were yeah, pretty, the they Duke. Were funny the Duke is very skittish. The King is very mighty. It's a funny yes. pairing when they're together. Um, and let's talk about the villain because this might like I was shocked that I liked the Evil Queen as much as I did. I was Agreed. shocked I loved Lady Tremaine as much as I did. Agreed. She was powerful. She was. And I remember being scared of her as a child. And that's where we were talking about. I think it was because she was real. Like, mm-hmm. to me, she could be, like, 
a mean person that you meet in your life. Somebody who has like no love in her heart. Like, yeah. There are people like that out in the world. And like she, she, you feel that yes. from her and you feel that from her through the whole movie. And I think that that's what makes it so intense. And I also think um, for anyone who is a stepmother out there, it's really hard because stepmothers get a bad rap. And I think part of it is because of her. Yes. Like she is such an intense personality. This trope of like you know the evil or the mean or the cruel stepmother Mm -hmm. um that's such a difficult role to fill and there are so many amazing stepmothers out there but i think she kind of set the scene to make it difficult for people right exactly um what was your favorite musical number i think we established i i like the cinderella music number better but i think my favorite song is 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 so this is love Okay, so it's always hard for me. Here we go. Immediately, it's bibbity bobbity boo I love mm-hmm. that one. So I love the it. character. I love the harmonies, and so this is love. And the Cinderella is just like, it fills me with so much joy to see the mice like being happy and singing. And it's just a cutesy, I like that song. I think well. Nightingale is also underrated. Oh, that's the, yeah. <laughs> oh, see, listeners, I can never pick it. Yeah, Sing Sweet Nightingale is also really beautiful. How does it hold up uh, with female character agency? I think it was fine. I think it was fine. Yeah. I think I think it's very focused on her. I I mean I I, I think we go back to I think she's the... very she's as independent as she can be because she is under such strict orders but like she takes care of the entire house. Yes, and she's kind and she does all these things and, and I like the She's the, so positive. The biggest point I like is it was oh I didn't know he was the prince. It was legit she fell in love with this guy. Yeah, and I also think too, you know, again us not having children but if you're watching this with children just like teaching the manners of you cannot like someone but you don't have to be ugly back to them Mm -hmm. and i think that's a really important lesson that as an adult like you should carry with you and it's hard to do would you let do you think this is a good movie to just sit down and and watch and let let a kid watch that i do i do too i think it's it holds up i think it feels very classic i think it's wonderful and again you know to put the call out to the listeners again i would love we would love to hear stories if you've watched this with your children recently or in the past i'd love to know their reactions to the characters as well as you know was there anything that they noticed about cinderella or about the story um because I do, I do think it would be an impressionable story for children. Mm-hmm. So the big question, I think it's this one's an obvious one. Do we put it up? Or we put it in a clamshell. Oh, VHS it's prominent on the shelf. On the shelf. I agree. Mm-hmm. This is a really good one. Yeah. So our next one coming up, guys, is Alice in Wonderland. We'll have a special guest for that. We're really excited for Alice in Wonderland and just for this string of movies that we know um, hold a special place in a lot of listeners' hearts as well as our own. And remember, uh, right now we're running a, a contest. If you can get somebody to join the Facebook group uh, and you have the most by the end of the month, uh, you will get to uh, host, co-host one of these episodes. So You can you, become our special guest. I know, guest. you could be a special guest. So keep telling people about us, keep listening, keep giving us good reviews, and uh, we'll talk to you guys. We'll see you guys next time. Thanks for listening to Tara and Ryan's Princess Diaries. If you want to tell us your favorite Disney villain and why it's guest on, send us an email at trprincessdiaries at gmail.com. Or you can send a tweet about how great Maleficent is, too, at TRP Diaries. Check out our Facebook group by searching for Tara and Ryan's Princess Diaries. Tara and Ryan's Princess Diaries are available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, and many more. Wherever you hear us, please be our knight in shining armor and give us a five-star review. 
Thanks again, and until next time, remember to always live happily ever after. Thank you.